Hi folks, it's Jaime Alejandro, and this is the Arts Calling Podcast, the place where I interview hardworking independent creatives in the literary, visual, and performing arts. Before we get to today's episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to the folks at Arcade Bookshop. These guys are friends of the podcast. I had the pleasure of collaborating with them over at The Coalition, and I was recently a guest on their podcast, Arcade Bookshop, which talks about the interesting convergence of storytelling in video games and literature. They're doing something really cool over there, and I hope that you get a chance to check it out. We had a wonderful time. I think it was a a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, the episode is live, and I hope that you enjoy it. So the link is in the episode description. Bryce, Caleb, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, and uh, I hope that you come over to Arts Calling so that we can continue the awesome chat that we had. And with that said, I am delighted to let you know that today I am Arts Calling Sam Chu. He is a local outsider singer-songwriter, and he plays a mix of his newest songs and a few tunes from the past. He has been playing original music in Bellingham and out of his car throughout the I-90 corridor since 2007, and he brings a refreshing spin to the folk genre. Sam and his collaborators are spearheading the Washington's Records label in the Northwest, and they're putting out some really interesting stuff. And I got to tell you, this was a a beautiful conversation. This is an incredibly winning human being who is uh, pursuing his creative gift in spite of really heartbreaking uh, circumstances recently. And I was just really, really impressed with uh, Sam's openness and his, uh, his willingness to serve his community. We had an amazing time, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. And so without further delay, let's give Sam a call. Hello, hello. Is anybody there? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Oh, there we go. Awesome. Uh, how hey, you doing? Hey, good, man. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I, you just asked that. <laughs> so I, I have to be honest with you right off the bat. Yeah. I, um, I'm not Nagel Fowlery, um, and Nagel Fowlery is a totally made up, uh, character. Um, and this is a virtual band that you, that, that, uh, you seem to have stumbled upon. Yeah. So uh, my name's Sam Chu. I'm the kind of like the, the mind behind it. I love this. So let's get the ball rolling because I, I really feel like this is a mystery that we should uncover on the podcast in conversation. So let's, let's start off real quick. Um, tell me, tell me how you begin as an artist so that we can, we can uncover this, this other identity. Uh, <laughs> tell me about okay, you cool. first. Yeah. So 2012 is when I really started playing music out uh, and gigging. And that was, um, that started with um, going on a tour or being asked to go on tour with this band called uh, the Dizzy Bats out of New York City. So uh, I packed up uh, in my little Subaru and went to start this like nationwide tour with them. And then by the time I got to Seattle for the first date, they said that they had some catastrophes half the band got sick and they had to just go home. And so they kind of canceled the rest of the tour and I took over and um, made it to to New York city and took like a month 
from Seattle to New York and back. I got kind of addicted to the road in that way. It was a difficult life, but it was also it's, there was there's something about it that that captured me. So kind of from then, I I kept on driving around the country every summer once the weather got nice and uh, when when it was winter, I just stayed in the Northwest and played and recorded and. I started a studio at a time at some some point, but uh, my passion was always just recording arts. So the Northwest is kind of home base for you still. Definitely, yeah. I'm born and raised in Bellingham. Oh, okay. Uh, that's just nine miles north of Seattle. Nice, nice. So, uh, when do you pick up an instrument for the first time? When is that for you? Um, so that was probably just a vicinity thing when I was really little. Ever since I was walking, there was always music and instruments in the house. So uh-huh. I I have pictures of me sleeping with guitars when I was like <laughs> five or six. <laughs> so uh, what kind of music uh, w- was playing in your house at the time? Uh, a lot of Tom Waits. Um, and my sister had a great collection of music, too, that she kind of kept in her bedroom. Um, and I would, I would get a couple CDs here and there. Um, I really liked well, I was kind of scared of one of one album uh, <laughs> called "The Pod" by Ween, and like oh, yeah. years later, it turned out to be one of my favorite albums ever. And uh, yeah, song, song, music like that. Uh, my mom was into like Tracy Chapman, Tom Waits, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was pretty eclectic mixture of music. If I, you know, once once I got a hold of my sister's box of CDs, it was. <laughs> That was, that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, man. I mean, you're you're mentioning, uh, you know, Ween. You start out with that, you know, at an early age, and it's like game over. You're going to go a completely different direction than most people, which is amazing. So, um, what kind of when do you start making songs? What's the uh, the the inclination there? When does that begin? I remember I was in middle school. Um, one of the first times I made songs was when I got Pro Tools for the first time in like seventh or eighth grade. And like a lot of friends go up to the the mountains during the winter time, and I didn't really ski or snowboard, so I just stayed at home during like the winter hours and just composed. And I started off with a lot of like soft rock sounding instrumentals, and then uh, the first song I wrote with lyrics was an acoustic guitar song, and I was like, uh, "Someday" was the name of that one. It's kind of about a song about wanting to write songs, <laughs> and the, the song about the kind of songs I wanted to write. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you begin working on your craft? Like you say, like consciously, I'm, this is something that's going to be a huge part of my life and I'm going to continue to develop. Is that, is that like a a thought that happens or do you just organically pursue this, this path right off the bat? I think like initially it started with just like, it felt fun and something I do and something I, I didn't seem to stop doing. Mm-hmm. It was just music and making songs because it was kind of like just bored mm-hmm. and gave me something to fill my time with. I'll admit, though, like after I started like writing around the country and identifying myself as a songwriter, I felt more pressure. Like I was a little bit more hard on, my, on myself when I wasn't in a creative streak with songwriting. And so I kind of pushed it a little harder then that I really, looking back, wanted to. Mm. and so right now i i really don't push anything and i uh hate to say it but i hardly even hone my craft it's like um this is something that's just a part of me and you know i'm not too attached anymore 
sounding perfect or like making great songs that are gonna you know be my number one hit like sure my relationship with music especially in this last year's completely changed and it's solidified the fact that like i'm not doing this to be a virtualistic great songwriter for any reason i'm doing it because i like can't literally can't stop and i think the Taoists called it the fool kind of artist uh-huh. and uh, versus the professional or the amateur i don't think i'm professional or amateur i feel like i'm just kind of like this fool sometimes and not in an endearing way hmm well, you know, you're touching on something super interesting that, that I feel is really hard to get to, like a mentality that you feel like you, you've had some reality thrown at you for a little bit of time, whether it's being on the road or just living or trying to survive, that gets you to that point, right? Because it's not the default that some of us have. I mean, I feel like I myself have, have experienced some things like, you know, if I just write it this way, it's going to get a lot more impact. Or if I just create something that's kind of like this, everyone's going to love it. And then I'm going to be catapulted or something. So I, I'm definitely curious of like, not to, not to like bring out the painful part of this process, because it's not an easy process to arrive at that place of being the fool or being the one who is, who is accepting of their burden to create, right? How difficult was that for you? Because right now it sounds pretty chill. Like it was like, okay, I had an awakening, but man, that's some tough times. I imagine. Yeah, I mean, the experiences that I thought would give me clarity in that answer really didn't. Like, playing lots of shows, being out there, gigging and making music, it can be exhausting, and you can't really take a step back and look at it sometimes. And for me, when I was really pushing it, really driving around the country, and really trying... I was struggling with this this question within me. Like it's just like, do I want to push it? Do I want to try to quote unquote make it against all odds, or do I want to exist? And you know, no amount no amount of gigging or songwriting or like working on the craft brought me closer to an answer. It was only when I found a lifestyle that I that I really loved, um, you know. And for me, that meant making a family and falling in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what helped me notice like, Hey, I, I want to just, I want to keep music enjoyable. Yeah. And yeah. to me that meant keep it as kind of an accessory to, ex, uh, to process and express the world around me. Yeah. And so like when I met Victoria and my wife, it was really clear to me, like, that living a quality life was my highest priority and not making a hit song and mm-hmm. being a better, as best of a person as I can be was my higher priority besides trying to exploit a single that I worked for months on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of stopped music altogether when I met and married Victoria and mm-hmm. I strictly did it for fun. Uh, just inside my house, but life is, so absurd and chaotic and sometimes uh, just devastating that that the moment you find something that makes you happy, it can be just taken away so quickly. Mm. And I, I don't, I don't know um, where else I'd get my energy from for recording and producing a song, an album like Lyac, um, if I hadn't. If I hadn't lost her and uh, mm. it's still something I'm processing a lot. 
Oh man, I'm sorry. But um, I think uh, th- that's the great thing about music is that people who don't have tools like religion or occultism, um, they have. Uh, we still have music, yeah. and that's a kind of a uh, a gift. Uh, I don't know how else to say it, but evolutionarily lucky card. I'm glad we got music in in our brains because it sure has helped me process a lot. Um, I, I totally deviated from your question a lot, but no, like, man, no. to answer your question, yeah. yeah, long story short, like when did I know that, that my relationship with music, music was going to be more like, um, not forced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when I ran out of energy and, and I couldn't believe, um, mm-hmm. what I was going through. And I, you know, I want to be not vague for the listeners a year ago. Uh, in October, Victoria, my wife, um, and I were were performing. Uh, well, I, she was performing her burlesque show, and afterwards we went dancing. And when we were parked downtown, we got hit by a drunk driver, um, and and then we got hit again by the drunk driver, the same one, and got pinned up against a fire hydrant, and it was really scary. And the next day uh victoria ended up passing away and i really don't uh i didn't know what to do and if you know anybody who's had traumatic loss like that can can relate that there's just no words um and and it's completely impossible to wrap your head around Hmm. so yeah that's that's where this newest album came from is just like not knowing what to say or do and also losing so much sleep that like this is making the you know multi-track album was the only thing that really got me tired enough to fall asleep and uh, you know i'm i'm still ranting again but i you know losing her yeah really fundamentally changed me and it, i had no other energy for anything um Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to answer that question. The no, best for I sure, can. for sure. And and listen, man, I I sincerely appreciate you sharing this with me. Um, it's something unimaginable and incredibly difficult. And I'm definitely thinking of you right now as you're sharing this. Um, but as you as you mentioned, you find you find a pillar in music. You find something that will allow you to push forward at whatever pace you can, because there's no right or wrong pace to move forward with any of this. It is you trying to craft a life, a new chapter, if that is even possible with, with what you Yeah. Have. Kind of crafting a whole new identity. Mm-hmm. You might say yeah. like when you lose somebody that was your other half, you don't really know who you are anymore. So mm-hmm. that, that was all the more reason for me to process all of that and, figure out who I am again by creating all of these alter egos within the, the band. Mm-hmm. And so um, mm-hmm. I felt like that was a really helpful way to step back from it all and and try to figure out who I was now. Yeah. And just so that we can let the listener know, so now we arrive at this point where you, this time around, have created various identities that make up a band, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was... Um, at one point, a released lore or a story, like short storybook that was out, but um, due to likeness issues and um, there was no contracts, basically, um, 
and there was a likeness of a character that was a local musician here, and um, they reached out to me and said that uh, they're not they're not comfortable with it anymore. So there's a rewrite going on of the band's lore, mm-hmm. but there was a pretty extensive story um, um, and lore behind it, kind of inspired by the video game FNAF and then the band of the Gorillas, because my stepkid is a is a huge fan of FNAF, and I really respect how much work has gone into some of those stories um and the backstory to the story so i took a lot of inspiration from there and um i'm, I'm sorry yeah no man no i'm it, getting a little bit no listen this is, from the question no this is perfect like listen there's there's no expectation here it's just like let, let's just kind of chill and and try to kind of carve our way through this because it's a lot man like you you've gone through a lot and and there is there is such a precious gift that you have and your strength that you're sharing with me is, is incredibly inspiring. And, and I really care about the things that you're telling me right now, but you have, you have the story, man, that you're, that you're building. You have this world that you're crafting that goes beyond music. And that is, that is pretty wild to me because it takes somebody who has a willingness to see in different dimensions, right? You have, you have the music part of it, but you have this whole lore and I'm curious how that has allowed you to kind of overcome and, and what is sort of the silver lining that you're seeing in this story? How is that making things brighter right now? Yeah. Even though it takes so much energy to write that backstory, it also feels like it's writing itself in the way that you're not making anything up. Mm-hmm. And the way that it makes me feel more sane is because I get to see, I get to put all the, the fucked up shit. Excuse me. I don't know if we're allowed to go. No, go ahead. <laughs> um, the, the messed up stuff like that I've gone through and my friends have gone through and I just get to, uh, you know, slap this character in there and see how they deal with it. Mm. And I don't know where I've heard that before, but um, I think that's a pretty common thing for script writers to do. I've had a, a really helpful friend down in California that works in the movie industry, and I've been able to talk to them throughout this process, and they've been really helpful as well, and just reminding me, like, write what you know. And that made this... Uh, like, it's a it's a exhausting process because you're going through and reliving every single one of those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, there's a portion where uh, the character Nagel Fowlery... Um, get hit by a drunk driver you know it's not hard to see the parallels there but um in reality you know in the story not reality um it turns out that kira cracker who's um the drummer she's actually the one who convinced that person to uh to drink and drive in the first place mm-hmm. uh, because he asked her to fill in on drums for a show, and she said, you know what, I'm tired of this. No, just do what you have to do and get your ass down to the show. That unfolds into the whole situation with Nagel. And, you know, writing that whole thing, you know, at the same time where you feel like you're, you know, excited that it's a good idea for the story's sake, you're also, I mean, I am I was also just, like, shaking because it was just, I'm just reliving it, but... Mm-hmm. It wasn't me this time. It was Nagel. And so I just got to kind of put myself in every one of the characters and uh, yeah, and see it from different points of view than myself. 
that's such a it's it seems like a powerful exercise man to to try to just get it all out of your system and as much as one possibly can but when you get to the music how do you how do you find like what are the first songs that you make and what do they sound like what do they feel like when you're crafting the first couple of songs for this project that's funny because um like the very first song on this album um i recorded the the base ideas of it um years ago um and at that point it was just like this rhythm and victoria was in the room with me and Mm. i was recording it just like this little stupid song idea um and i remember her being like that sounds cool and that's how some of them started but about uh about 13 of the tracks i don't have a honestly a lot of memory about how they started because i didn't get a lot of sleep back then mm-hmm. and so all i know that i had is that i had this vision of a electronic drummer a acoustic drummer a synth player a bassist and strings mm-hmm. and um from then on out i just didn't know how to present it i was like this is this has to be a band. This is not a solo album anymore. To me, it seemed like a a whole group, and so that idea just leached into the other idea. And since I made one idea, you know, it just led to another. And my friend Tim Meckling helped me render up a album cover for Lyak. Some of the images of these names that I came up with, and uh, we kind of ran with it. It's kind of funny story how we got the names just to be a little tangential. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking, like, what if people look up these names because they've never, you know, it's kind of a small town here in Bellingham, especially in the summer when college people leave. But I was thinking, you know, people are going to Google these names to find out who they are. And so I made it so they're only one letter off from a deadly disease or virus or mm. um, organism. Um, Nigel Falry, uh, for example, if you type that up in Google, it'll be it'll say, "Did you mean Did you mean uh, Nigel Falria or something like that?" Which is like this brain-eating, terrifying organism. Oh wow! That crawls into your nose and eats your brain, and that's the only reason it lives is to eat human brains. <laughs> Anyways, fact checking on that, you guys. Google the uh, <laughs> Google the band members and find all the 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 dangerous ailments that they actually are um you know so you're starting to create these uh these personalities and i love that you know listening to some of the songs there is a cohesion there i mean because you're you're talking about creating in a very difficult time very stressful tumultuous time but there there is a, a logic in the way the music sounds and the characters that you're presenting and this is from like a couple of tracks that I've heard, you know, in, in the album, which um, it, this one's ready to come out, right? Or is it about to come out? Yeah, it's it's it might come out for streaming someday. OK, Um, but it is out right now on CD and um, out of what we initially pressed, there's about 40 copies left. OK, so um, I'll make sure if you got any links, I'll put them in the episode description so folks can uh, can click on that. Yeah, if people want to listen for free, there's the instrumental version. Um, I know that's kind of like a bummer, but like, <laughs> um, just we're we're a record label too, and we're trying to change things up over here in Washington State. And um, you know, just with 
Uh, for example, the first day that we had the CD out, we sold eight copies, you know, mm-hmm. in the first couple hours. And that alone is equivalent to something like, I don't want to make up numbers, but um, like 100,000 100, streams mm-hmm. equivalent yeah. of revenue. And so, not, I mean, that's not the only reason we did it. That's kind of a secondary reason why we released it on physical media only. Um, but for me, I wanted to avoid the post-stream blues you know, the flop blues when you work on something super hard and then put it out for free and nobody buys it because it's for free and then it flops. So in my opinion, we might put it out on on streaming someday, but it means so much to me, this album, that I'd rather have less fans that I actually can interact with. Yeah. And I think that that's a really powerful, you know, movement that you could be a part of that or that you're starting over there, because I feel like so much is out of our control when it comes to digital distribution and the powers that be just keep shaving away profits. And to see this model happening and you making it happen with your record label, Washington's, which is a great, a great name for a record label, um, is really inspiring to me. Yeah, so it started with my friend Tim and I, um, Tim Meckling. We had a lot of similar artistic visions, and uh, we were fans of a lot of similar artists out there. Mm-hmm. And so I brought this year, this idea to him about a year ago, and he was completely on board. And he actually had the idea, uh, the band, or the, the name Washingtons mm-hmm. in mind. I was going to call it something like Smoking Dog Records, but... <laughs> Yeah, the whole idea of like a review uh, company that they wanted to do. And so we kind of meshed up these two ideas. We made Washington's records. And our model right now is that we are doing as many local reviews as possible of LPs and EPs. And they're a little bit different in the sense that they're like, I call them like ethnomusicological reviews because they take a look at the, um, the context socially and geographically of the music that we're releasing that that we're reviewing right now for example i'm working on a review for a a local rapper named estimate and og neeks is uh is with him on this album called bright ideas and uh we kind of go into like the history of seattle like all the way back to baby got back to macklemore's thrift shop Mm -hmm. like and compare it to that and what was going on at the time like nationwide to give it some context right like yeah, yeah, exactly. So we find a lot of album reviews are just like, this album is 94 minutes long. This is composed <laughs> and written by blah, blah, blah. It was recorded in blah, blah, blah studios. This is a great album with a tapestry of woven. Uh, <laughs> anyways, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But we wanted to avoid that. We wanted to make ourselves um, seem a little more intelligible. But at the same time, we want to switch up from that classic like 50 50 or in some cases 90 percent goes to the label model mm-hmm. and you know honestly i see why record labels do that so they can have overhead for tackling new projects and maybe even risky projects that are less mainstream like i i appreciate what sub pop's doing it's great but again they're a little bit more of the traditional way and for us we're aiming for 70 percent to the artist just mm. off the off the top for um physical merch also we are aiming to kind of do a huge huge change in the music industry which is um replacing p pvc vinyl with pet vinyl and that's uh what's the difference there 
So PVC is polyvinyl chloride and off gases into chlorine in the air and other volatile organic compounds. And it's a carcinogen, basically. It's kind of like that. It's the exact same thing that was spilled in that train spill over in uh, Ohio last year. Yeah. So there's still repercussions from that spill. You, you, you know, you have livestock being poisoned and that's because they're using, that's because they spilled polyvinyl chloride. And there's a number of things, but number one, PET plastic is recyclable, like in a closed system, a hundred percent recyclable. So it doesn't degrade, doesn't off gas. It has a higher tensile strength and it takes less energy to press. Wow. So in addition to being better for your health, you'll get the a sturdier record and it'll be less toxic for the environment. Mm. So um, we're releasing our first one of those, an album called Vandal Hands of Man. Um, that's going to be on Earth Day. So I, I think I'm technically pre- I'm announcing this for the first time. Oh, goodness. Right now. So, yeah, <laughs> we're doing an Earth Day release. Earth Day release on a new medium, totally new medium for music aficionados and lovers. And I, th- I hope it takes on because... Um, Vinyl has to end, and PVC production of anything, I think, has to stop because, not to mention the uh, plasticizers that are used in them. Um, And a lot of the cheaper record companies, you'll find they use lead, or um, I don't want to get it wrong, but lead is a really common cheap plasticizer for PVC. Mm. And to me, it's just like, it's a 90-year-old technology. It's time that we find a better a better material for this really yeah. loved technology. Yeah. Uh, I personally love for collecting records. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that you're making a really good case for physical media. I mean, for, for those of us, you know, who may not be completely in the know about the technology, this is incredibly illuminating, but like, how do we make that change to, to help people understand that the future should be more physical media than, than digital streams and all of this you know, stuff that we have online. That's funny you asked me that because a local zine just asked me the same question along with three other local record label owners. And I sat down pretty quickly and was able to find, like, make my list of, like, okay, why is physical media important? And, um, you know, I could read through that, but a lot of people, I think, innately know why it's important. Not to mention, like, the fact that you never see a hardcore Christian without a Bible um, is the same thing said about a musician. You never see a hardcore musician without a record or a CD collection. And uh, okay, working back from there, it just makes more sense. It's cheaper to listen to music that way because you have no ads mm-hmm. to go through. You don't have to get an expensive uh, computer or cell phone to listen to it on too. And a lot of people forget that non-physical media still takes a very physical phone and very physical computer and very physical speakers to play it. So um, this connotation between like download codes and non-physical albums being non-physical, it's just kind of like funny to me because you almost need more equipment and you have to pay monthly for the data that you're using on that equipment to Mm -hmm. listen to that on where it's completely different with a record. That being said, there's, there's things that have to be changed about the uh, physical media. Um, like, it to me, it always comes back to PVC. Like, that's the importance of collecting, and that's the importance of getting away from it, too. Because mm-hmm. 
where do records belong? They were they belong in people's collections, not in the landfill. And there's literally nothing else we can do with it. We can't burn it. We can't recycle it. Um, actually, you might be able to shred them up and use it in lower grade PVC products, but PVC as a whole is getting phased out. Mm. You'll have too many particulates if you want to recycle PVC into records. And so that's why if you ever want to press an ocean plastic record, you have to sign a disclaimer saying, this might not sound good <laughs> because there's so many particulates in there. Wow. So to me, like, yeah, it's important. It's imperative that we have uh, physical music to collect because people are going to find a way to collect physical music. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's going to end up being on a computer or on a, on a sustainable medium. And yeah. I mean, as much as I love records, I think they should stop being produced and we should start collecting. Mm. And then it should be phased out with PET plastic records, um, kind of like CDs are used, are using recyclable plastic mm. in there. And uh, then yeah. with tape, tape out. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of starting to think about why, um, I mean, obviously we have to be conscious of the environment, but I wonder when that started for you. Like, have you... Has your family or have you always been conscious of, of the environmental repercussions of this stuff? Or, or when did you find that interest or that passion for environmental concerns? So growing up and like working for people, I've always had a critical eye on like what is done with the waste material and how harmful are the products that are going into the industry that we're doing. So that was always in the back of my mind as an employee. But as we started this record label, it was quick. Like it, it just started up and we had a client DSer and we went right into production of a vinyl. And my one wish is that I wanted since, since something so bad happened to me, I wanted just to put something good in the world. Um, and I really wanted to put something good in the world. And I, went into production. We did so much work with PR and getting the word out there and getting organizing a show for Victor or for DSer and um, all that happened. And we were in production all of a sudden. And uh, I, I was honestly on YouTube and I was watching a musician's uh, show that I was a fan of. And he made this point about polyvinyl chloride and off gassing and health risks. And so that was kind of honestly devastating to me because all I wanted to do was contribute something good in the world and it turned out to be toxic. And that was a horrible feeling because it was a great album with great lyrics. And then I came to find out that, uh, yeah, this is ultimately in 100, 200, 300 years, not very good. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was a bad feeling. So. That's when I started researching. I got in contact eventually with a couple of companies over in the Netherlands who happened to have a representative over in Nashville and a branch for their company called Green Vinyl Records. And they're the only company in the world that's doing PET recyclable records. Wow. Um, that's been since 2020 when they first started up, I believe. So it's pretty new technology then, you know, that's starting to make make waves. Yeah, I mean, did, rumor on the street is dis the... Uh, that company, uh, company Disney is working with them right now as well. Uh, but yeah, it's a hugely, very, very new uh, mm -hmm. project. I think they even have been modifying 
the efficiency of their factory and they've gotten it down to like a ridiculous uh percentage more efficient than any vinyl factory just in the last year oh that's awesome um, so i i definitely suggest to go and follow them on instagram green vinyl records and and follow their websites and stuff like awesome stuff that's great to hear man and i only got a couple more questions to be mindful of your time here this has been awesome but let's talk about kind of where the future is now for the Washingtons records and for your personal songwriting and, and sort of creative projects. You, it seems like this, this record is sort of lined up already. It's pretty much good to go. Mm-hmm. What are you looking to, to work on next time? What is sort of the, what is the next thing on the horizon for you? So I'll do something a little different. I'll go far in the future and then I'll come, I'll reel it back in, but okay. Five years from now, I want to have finished my rewrite for the Lyak lore story um, because I have a handful of voice actors and I have this instrumental version of the album that is timed up with the voice actors, with the narrator um, and everything. So I would like to, in five years, have a finished rewritten version without the likeness of any characters um, and have it fleshed out with an artist's rendering of some of the uh, the bigger scenes, uh, reminiscent of Gorilla's early sketch work. Yeah, I, I'm thinking Rhinestone Eyes back in 2010. They still have a kind of a sketchbook music video of that up there. Mm. Um, so in in five years' time, I can see myself being complete with the rewrite and having a new phase of uh, Howling Brave. Um, that follows up Lyak. But stepping back from that a little bit, um, like four years, um, this coming summer we're going to have a really cool collaboration with this Tacoma band called Bearvex. And um, I just heard the the demos and the the, not the masters, but the demos for the album. And to me, it's kind of like this Gorillaz Beck-inspired EDM punk album. Mm. uh, Eco-punk kind of and so we're going to release this as well on pet record hopefully with it being like that eco-punk crowd over in tacoma in the northwest here it it takes off and we can afford doing another pet mm-hmm. the following year but preceding that summer release that's coming up here we have that earth day release which mm-hmm. is tim's um it's going to be a see-through record PET plastic, completely recyclable, and the first first for sale, um, first recyclable record for sale in Washington State, mm. um, and that's going to be on Earth Day. Reeling it in even more, though, we have a show this place called the New Prospect Theater that's going to be happening um, on a Tuesday, actually, and we're going to be doing number number of those, um, and hopefully get a lot more local bands to do. Like this is an unplugged show mm. coming up, but we're hoping to do a lot more. Uh, venue-based rowdy shows and uh you know something a little dream on the books too is to be one of the first labels or bands to play on the the local world famous uh galbraith mountain and i know that you guys have mountain bikers up there (laughs) um so if you look up galbraith mountain that is a place worth traveling to and i hate to be the tourist guy but like (laughs) that is our record label's dream is to have um have a concert during one of the slalom races that go on up at Galbraith Mountain. And we think that would just be a blast because 
that already happens up in Mount Baker with the uh, ski slaloms. And um, we think that that might be a fun yet untapped live show that we can make kind of regular up in the Northwest here. Lots of uh, pots on the burners. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way to be. That's that's a perfect way to be. You touched on something that is quite meaningful to me because I'm trying to find a better way to be a part of my community. And one of the things I've admired about Washington, and I actually, I lived in Seattle for, for a little while. You know, my wife and I lived there about 10 years ago. And I was really taken by how powerful and how awesome the creative community was. And I'm curious if you could share a few thoughts about what makes a good creative community work like the one that you're in, because it seems like a very supportive group. Like, what does it take to foster something like that, you know, to make it work the way it does over there? You know, there's all the cliche things like showing up to people's events and like supporting local venues and buying CDs. But what to me, what comes down to it to me is this really simple phenomenon where somebody writes a song and they give it to their friend who who they think will like the song. And uh, whether they're in the same band or in different bands or solo musicians, I think that very phenomenon is the base of every music com- community. Like, hey, I made this song. I like, can you listen to it? And I've I've seen uh, maybe the strongest connections happen from bands covering other bands' songs. And to me, there's uh, it's hard to have a higher level of uh, honor to than having your song covered by somebody. And, you know, communities like, you know, Aaron Freeman and Mickey from Ween did the same kind of thing. And uh, and out of that was born, you know, these historic relationships between, like, Ween and the Dead Milkman, you know. They say that, that they knew each other, you know, they gigged and were pen pals even at one point. Mm-hmm. And so what it comes down to is having these songs, which are not just songs, they're kind of philosophies or ideologies and the the reason why people like songs is because they're part of they offer identity and the more that a community can agree on one identity like the more that you can have empathy for each other for example um you know i've been working on some local covers and uh i might not go to this band's shows a lot i might not even buy their merch but to me, my way of supporting them is to is by learning how the lyrics and the chords to one of their songs. Mm. You know, that's that's a little bit of a lame answer, I'll admit, but <laughs> I think it's also not said enough. Like community, yeah, go to your shows, go to your local venues and buy the merch and buy the CDs. Also share the songs that you like that you've written. You know? It, yeah. it's it's fun feeling when somebody when you you know you might be lonely and somebody out of the blue texts you a song like hey i wrote this what do you think it's even even a better feeling when you come out with an album and then a couple of years later somebody's like hey can i cover this and release it my own version of it and that's a that's just fun in my opinion <laughs> that's amazing man that's a a beautiful note to end on but before we wrap up, where can we find you on the internet? What's your uh, what's what are your handles? So right now, WashingtonsRecords.com. Um, that will funnel you basically to everything that you need. You know, on there there'll be a tab for our Bandcamp, so you can find all of our artists there. And I'm one of the artists there. And on the Bandcamp, you can hear my newest two acoustic singles called "Better" and "Black Hole Rising." 
There are actually two songs on one track. And, um, you know, I won't, I won't suggest Googling my name or, and uh, YouTubing it because there's so many videos <laughs> of, uh, you know, people, people saying, oh, this, th- this uh, 15-year-old guitarist, um, which, in my opinion, are just not the best performances. I, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was, before I started touring around the United States, I was kind of like, you know, that fool of a musician, like, I'm not going to practice too much. I'm just going to play. And see if I can get some lunch money, maybe a money for a joint too. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, starting touring around the United States, I was like, maybe I should take myself seriously. And now I feel like I've come back full circle to just not trying too hard, but you know, at the same time, I'm like losing extreme amounts of sleep from all this effort I'm putting to the record label. So it's kind of mm-hmm. just like I'm so exhausted from the record label that. You know, I can be more of an authentic self in my artist. Hmm. Maybe I'm rambling. (laughs) My God. (laughs) No, man. But listen, uh, I think it's incredibly admirable what you're doing. One of the hardest things to do is to try to give to the community, to serve in the way that you can. And listen, it's it's not easy given what you've been through and what you're experiencing right now. So I just want to thank you, man, not not only for your strength, for your perseverance, but for the work that you're doing for your community. That is deeply important. No matter where you are or what you're doing, that is a world of good that you're bringing to the people around you. And so incredibly that's inspiring that's to me, man. Just keep keep it up. Love your music. And I love the, the stuff that's coming out of Washington's records. So I highly recommend everyone check it out. Thank you so much. And likewise with you. That's a great channel. I'm glad you're helping out your community as well. All right, man. Well, I'm going to let you enjoy your Sunday. Please take care. Thinking of you. Keep making some awesome art. I know. Cool, man. You too. All right, man. Talk to you soon. See you. Bye.